This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, January 29th, 2021. I'm Jason Breifel from Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Today we are discussing the start of the Biden administration and the new Congress. We're recording this show about one week after the President Biden's inauguration, but a lot has already happened here in the federal community. And that's going to set the stage in our government for the next four years. And we're going to be diving into those topics with our guests covering the swath of the community here today. First, let me welcome and introduce Randy Irwin. Randy is the national president of the National Federation of Federal Employees, NEFI, America's first federal employee union, which was founded in 1917. Welcome, Randy, to Fed Talk. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, Next, we have Jessica Clement. Jesse is the staff vice president, policies and programs at the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association, NARF. Jesse is responsible for carrying out the legislative, grassroots, and political strategies and one of the nation's largest federal employee and retiree organizations. Thanks again for joining us on Fed Talk, Jesse. Hey, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. And finally, we have Chad Hooper. Chad is the executive director of the Professional Managers Association, formed in 1981 by IRS managers. PMA is a national membership association representing the interests of professional managers, management officials, and non-bargaining unit employees in the federal government, particularly at the Internal Revenue Service. Thanks for joining us, Chad. Good morning, Jason. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to lay out how this show will proceed for our listeners, and then we're going to dive into the meat of our discussion today. Uh, In our first segment, we're going to talk about what each of our guests and your organizations are are looking at. and looking back briefly on the legacy of the Trump administration, but primarily looking ahead at this first week of actions in the Biden administration uh, and what that means for the workforce. In the latter part of the show, we'll dive deeper into the new administration, what this means for the workforce, your members, and our government writ large. And finally, we'll wrap up and look at the new Congress. Uh, We don't only have a new president, uh, we have a, a fully democratic Congress, Uh, The Senate is near complete in figuring out its power sharing agreement. What is that going to mean for the federal community and their issues in Congress in the year ahead? Before we dive into our conversation, I want to remind everyone that Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program, FLTCIP. The program is sponsored by the Office of Personnel Management, insured by John Hancock Life and Health Insurance Company under a group long-term care insurance policy and administered by the Long-Term Care Partners, LLC, doing business at FedPoint. To learn more, visit them at www.ltcfeds.com today. Well, with that, I really want to dive into our conversation. And before we do that, I'd, I'd like each of you to just let our listeners know who your members are, who your organizations represent. Um, and, and Randy, I'd like to, to start with you. I, again, we, we mentioned Nephi just crossed your 100-year anniversary. Um, tell us about your membership, what agencies they're in, how many folks are you representing, Randy? Sure. So uh, we represent 110,000 federal workers across the federal government, uh, spread out all throughout the United States. Uh, our biggest membership is in the Department of Defense. Where we've got about 50,000 uh, workers that we represent at uh, all the different agencies for the most part. Uh, we represent the nurses, doctors, and other healthcare professionals at about 50 VA hospitals and outpatient clinics throughout the country. We're doing great work on taking care of our veterans and, um, and you know, doing a lot of work on COVID right now. Uh, so we're very proud of that. We represent about 20,000 workers of the U.S. Forest Service. Uh, a lot of these, you know, doing great work 
putting out wildfires uh, when when fire season is is occurring. Uh, we're very proud of our membership there. Uh, we represent all the workers in the passport agencies across the country, all the bargaining unit eligible folks anyway. Uh, so we're you know we do great work there. Uh, and then we've got about thirty five different agencies uh, across the country where we have some membership. Uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development, uh, other land management agencies like the Park Service and the Bureau of Land Management, Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, so we, we, we've got a lot, uh, but 110,000 nationwide, and we're very proud of the work they do. Thanks so much, Randy. I think that's really helpful to get a sense of the important critical jobs that your members have all across our federal government, both on the front lines and also uh, out there in many other critical roles. Uh, uh, Jesse, with NARF, can you tell our, our listeners a little bit about your membership at NARF? Absolutely, Jason. Thanks for asking. Trying to give a NEFI a run for its money. NARF turns 100 next month. We are very excited to celebrate our centennial in a mostly virtual environment. Um, so a lot of plans for that. NARF is a nonprofit, nonpartisan membership association of current and retired federal employees, their spouses, and survivors. Um, so we represent federal employees at all agencies and at every level within, within the government. Um, we started as a retiree-only organization, so they make up about 75%, 80% of our membership now, um, and expanded our membership to current federal employees um, a little over about 15 years ago or so. So we have um, taken great strides in the past several years to promote NARF as the federal benefits experts. You, we found that federal employees in particular, but also the retirees have so many questions as it relates to their benefits. They have a difficult time getting a hold of someone in their agencies. They have a difficult time getting someone at OPM on the phone to answer their questions, and they do not know where to turn. Um, so we've been working really hard over the last several years to make NARF that information resource for the federal community on all your federal benefits topics um, when you can't seem to find those answers anywhere else. Thanks so much, Jesse. Really appreciate that, that overview and having you join us here on Fed Talk today. And Chad, can you please tell us a little bit more about PMA? Thanks, Jason. Yeah, um, we and PMA advocate um, on behalf of Internal Revenue Service uh, managers, management officials, and anyone else who's in the what we say in the federal space, the non-bargaining unit. This just means those who are not in the union. Um, uh, we do have a handful of legacy members in other agencies like the USDA and the CDC. Um, but in 2018, we pivoted our focus. Um, the majority of our members, uh, like 95% of them are IRS workers. And so we wanted to use our voice more effectively there. The IRS has 32,000 uh, non-bargaining unit employees and we're proud to advocate on their behalf. Awesome, thank you so much, Chad. Uh, really appreciate that overview of PMA and your, your membership. And uh, before we take our first break and, and dive into the rest of our conversation, you know, I wanted to, to briefly ask, ask folks about kind of the, the legacy from the last administration, from the Trump administration for the workforce. We've seen with this flurry of executive action from the Biden administration, many of those old directives kind of wiped away. But, but Randy, I know a lot of those were focused on unions and your members. And I'm curious, which of those do you think may have, have staying power um, versus do you think that they, they've... Uh, you know, we're taking the first steps toward um, cleaning that slate. Uh, I think it's hard to say which will have staying power with these executive orders. Often it looks like we're playing a game of tennis. A Republican comes in, it gets repealed. A Democrat comes in, it gets reinstated. And, you know, things like uh, partnership, we've seen it go back and forth and back and forth. Um, but, uh, you know, we're really excited uh, in particular to see the executive orders signed by uh, President Biden on Friday of last week. Uh, where, you know, he repealed uh, several uh, significant Trump executive orders that had collectively really wrecked collective bargaining in the federal sector, made it very difficult for 
uh, unions to, to represent our, our the, the workers that we represent, our members. And um, so, you know, we certainly hope that one has staying power. We, we never thought that his executive orders were legal in the first place. Um, we had originally uh, kind of had a successful legal challenge and then lost on appeal. And so, so they were in effect. Uh, but uh, with the stroke of a pen, Biden was able to get rid of those horrible things. And uh, so, so now we've got kind of the status quo uh, for uh, collective bargaining and unions in the federal sector. Hopefully those stick around. Thanks, Randy. And we're going we're gonna to dive into that more. And I think the, the analogy you present of the, the game of ping pong between administrations and kind of what that means for, for each of your members mm-hmm. is something that, that we'll unpack today on Fed Talk. We're going to stop here for our first break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. I'm here with Chad Hooper of PMA, Jesse Clement of NARC, and Randy Irwin of NEFI. Before the break, we were talking about the, the kind of ping pong that we see in the federal government between Democratic and Republican administrations. And, uh, you know, the clear signal with, with this first week in the Biden administration that uh, change is here and there is a different tone at the top. Um, and and I, I watched with great interest the all-staff message that President Biden put out to the workforce that said, we're all on the same team. He also sent a message to his political appointees saying, I expect you to treat people with respect and uh, to realize that they are also here working for us and that we're, we're all here working for the American people. Um, and, and I'm just curious for your reactions on what's that's meant to you all and your members, and, and kind of then we'll, we'll talk about what we saw in some of these first week executive actions to kind of put meat on the bones and bring those, bring those to, to life. Um, and Chad, maybe we can start with you on that. Sure. Thank you, Jason. <clears throat> I, you know, we and PMA are heartened to see all of these moves and a renewed uh, appreciation and respect for the civil service. Um, I feel almost a little bit sad to say that it's refreshing. Um, we at the IRS work every day super hard to try to deliver for the American people. Um, we love to remind everybody that we fund our democracy, um, and we look forward to continuing that relationship. Um, we, of course, I think learned over these last few years, um, that there are probably some additional safeguards that we could use to, uh, protect and insulate the civil service from political interference. Um, and we can certainly talk more about that at any time. Um, but yeah, I think we have a, a brighter road ahead. I was basically going to echo, you know, what Chad said, like what a sad state of affairs we live in that this is necessary to point out, right. Mm-hmm. That career civil servants should be treated with respect. Political appointees should defer to the experts. Like, I think that, um, I mean, I obviously can't speak for others, but that was a, you know, refreshing, refreshing tone, um, at the beginning of this administration, um, something that all of our organizations, you know, carry out and put forth as our missions, you know, day in and day out on behalf of the people that we serve. So, so welcome, um, welcome change of pace. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd agree. My, our, our members at NEFI are very happy to see this change in tone. Uh, I mean, if you, when you contrast it with the start of the Trump administration, uh, where he comes in and he's saying, we need to drain the swamp. I mean, those words have meaning. That's a very powerful statement. And for, you know, for federal workers, 85% of them are spread throughout the country. They're doing great work for the American people. And I mean, it, 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 it kills morale when, when you say a thing like that. So, and, and, and throughout his, his presidency, in both his words and his policy, policies, he was consistently showing that level of disrespect for the federal workforce. And so you contra- contrast that with Biden, uh, who comes in in his words and actions showing respect. It makes a big difference. It has an impact on 
the functioning of our federal government. It's hard enough as it is to recruit and retain federal workers into our government for, for what they get paid well under what they make in the private sector for the same jobs. So if you disrespect them on top of that, it hurts, it hurts our ability for our government to perform. And so Biden's definitely on the right track, you know, showing federal employees the respect uh, that, that they should have had all along, but that they haven't heard in four years. As someone who's lived in this town for almost 20 years and has lobbied for federal employees for 15 of the, you know, over 15 of those, I am, if I never have to hear the word swamp again, I I think I'll be really, really happy. Um, You know, it's easy to say, it's easy to put things in a 140 characters, right, and make it a rallying cry. Um, But I'd be willing to bet that the American people who rely on the services that that so-called swamp depends on. Um, wouldn't think of it that way if they had a better understanding of what the federal workforce does and who it serves. Mm-hmm. And I think that that will be an interesting thing to see as part of the Build Back Better campaign, uh, if this administration kind of helps make that tie explicitly to, to explain to the public, these are the folks working really hard often behind the scenes to make sure that you're getting your benefits, that your water is clean, you know, that your roadways are safe, and, and so much more. Um, you know, we, we're, we're talking about kind of the rhetoric and the impact, and, and there were some real policies connected to that there, and, and, and one that uh, I know a lot of our groups worked, worked hard on and, and may have kind of fallen under the radar last week was the, uh, the repeal of the Schedule F executive order, which would have uh, essentially kind of opened the door to a, a much broader scale uh, level of political influence and uh, appointment authority. Um, within the workforce. And, and during the break, Randy, you kind of commented on kind of the perniciousness of, of that rhetoric coupled with that policy. And I'm, I'm hopefully you can share that with our, our listeners. Yeah, uh, you know, this Schedule F authority was emblematic of a, a consistent theme that we saw throughout the Trump administration, um, which was to, to not to not respect federal employees, but more importantly, to not um, you know, accept this, the independent civil service as we know it. Um, you know, we saw time and time again with, let's say with Dr. Fauci, you see it, you know, you've got government experts that are trying to convey information to the American people. Uh, and, and it's in all different areas that, that we see that we have real experts in the federal government. Uh, and, and he didn't respect the independence of the civil service to, to do their jobs. Um, you know, and, and you know that, that's a problem for the American people. That's a, a, a independent civil service that serves the American people is critical to the functioning of our government, critical to uh, American democracy. And um, you know it, it, we were not tacking in the right direction. And the Schedule F to to politicize to allow the politicization of of the federal workforce w- was a scary, scary change. Uh, you know, thank God uh, uh, Pre- President Biden uh, you know revoked it. Uh, that's a good, that's a, a great thing, but but it was scary that that it was ever proposed in the first place. I think it's a basic question, right? Do you want your federal workforce to be beholden to the Constitution and take an oath to defend the Constitution, or do you, as the American people, want your federal workforce to be beholden to the person who's in the Oval Office, right? And the argument that we made to the Hill throughout this whole process is, you may agree with the person in the office now. And that's why you don't dislike this executive order, but think about four years from now or eight years from now or 12, right? Um, I mean, I echo, I, um, echo everything Randy just said, right? This is, this is not what the civil service was designed to do. It ensures continuity of, gov- continuity of government. It was a direct attack on our civil service. But I think if nothing else, we can all agree that returning to this oil system, mm-hmm. the late, you know, the 1800s is, is not what we want as a country. We need people who carry out jobs on behalf of the American people and do so regardless of the political leanings of the person in the White House. Thank you both so much. And I think it is a uh, uh, well-stated and really important points. And we, we will see how this continues to play out as, as the Biden administration is staffing up. You're seeing many of their uh, appointees at lower levels come in are folks who have agency experience. And, and obviously part of the idea there is during the pandemic, they're hoping to hit the ground running, work with their former colleagues uh, to deliver on these multiple crises for, uh, for the public and for our country. Uh, I wanna pivot um, briefly and talk about some of the other 
orders that we saw in this first week from President Biden, several of which addressed um, and received, I think, pretty, pretty positive feedback from the community, addressed the longstanding concerns about kind of the inconsistency uh, that we saw in federal buildings and facilities around uh, masks, around PPE, around protocols and policies like that. And um, I know that there's been a bunch of different task force and coordination teams stood up as well to, uh, so that the government can better act like an employer and, and uh, convey kind of a coherent plan to the workforce. Um, and I know, uh, Chad, this is something that, that you worked on um, with PMA, given the fact that you did have members out there in facilities and in taxpayer-facing operations um, who, who were very concerned last year um, and, and continue to be concerned. Yes, Jason, um, PMA worked on this, um, I think almost from the start in March, um, the IRS evacuated its offices um, at the end of March, 2020, um, and PMA began advocating immediately for consistent federal mask mandates. Um, the IRS occupies um, almost 500 locations worldwide. Um, and it's an incredible, uh, an incredible array and variety of safety protocols to have to try to unify, um, we struggle because you know we have federal buildings that we occupy. We occupy private real estate. Sometimes it's just one room with one person in one private building, and that's the IRS office. I think of the walk-in office in Brattleboro, Vermont, um, is that exact example. Um, and to leave that uh, masking and PPE mandating to the security councils over a building. Um, was resulting in just a panoply of results, right? We had reports from our members in Indiana that you know half of the agencies weren't requiring masks and the IRS was. Um, and so uh, we look forward to this sensical uh, policy uh, that creates a uniformity nationwide. Um, we continue to be concerned though for our, our uh, members and their staff who do work in private real estate uh, where there is still a variety of options, right? You know, there could be a low mask adherence in the private tenants of a building um, while the IRS occupies only one floor. Um, so we're still working through locally on issues like that. Um, but we, again, are very appreciative of finally, um, after almost a year, um, getting a clear and consistent guidance here. Thanks so much, Chad. And Randy, I, I've got to imagine that this has been a, a huge issue for, for your members, given given the, the agencies that they're serving in. I know at DOD, depending on the, the part of the organization, folks that were, were having to come in because of the nature of their work. So I'm curious about your, your reaction and, and the member, what you've heard from your members about this issue as well. Uh, you know, we, we want bottom line, as, as federal employee unions, we're here to keep people safe and protect their jobs. Those are the first things we're here to do and what we will hear the most about if they're ever being threatened in any way. Um, so, you know, it is not a one size fits all approach to dealing with COVID in the federal workplace. There's a great deal of variability. We experience it throughout our union, but the idea of having consistent mask wearing on federal work sites is absolutely there to uh, protect everybody. It makes the workplace safer. And, you know, some, there are, there are, there are some people who will gripe, but it's still a good policy. And so, you know, we're glad to see that, that, that guidance and we're fully supportive of it. That's great. And one of the things that I've seen in the news, even just the past few days is kind of, uh, everyone trying to get their head around all of these actions and, and these orders and, and how it all comes together. And, and I'm, I'm curious just what, what that's like on the ground, Randy, uh, Chad, working with your chapters, working with your locals, kind of how are you keeping track and keeping sense of, of what's going on out there? You know, it's, it's difficult. I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, we're, we're, there, were, there was a lot increasingly has been done by executive action in recent administrations as Congress uh, kind of ground to a halt and, and kind of stopped solving problems legislatively, uh, more has been done on the executive side. And so, you know, that pendulum we talked about earlier, uh, you know, we're seeing more and more have to be undone uh, from the previous administration. So, you know, you're seeing a lot of that. Um, I'm sure this was a record of executive orders signed on the first day. Uh, we're still trying to digest them. I have to say also, uh, you know, even when you're close to the action, 
um, you, you know, they, they hold these things pretty close to the vest. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you may have seen a draft six months ago of what an executive order is going to look like, and then it comes out completely different. So we are definitely scrambling to kind of digest these executive orders and, uh, you know, especially in, in places where there's gray areas. And, and a lot of these executive orders make a direction, uh, but, you're, but you're, you know, you get with the attorneys and say, now, does this mean what we think it means? And, and we're trying, you know, and so there's a lot of that going on right now. Oh, yes. The attorneys. We'll get to that after our next break uh, as we continue our conversation uh, with Nephi, NARF, and PMA. Uh, you're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're entering the second half of our show with Randy Irwin from NEFI, Jesse Clement from NARF, and Chad Hooper of PMA. Uh, we're going to continue our discussion for some of the workforce actions that we've seen in this first week from President Biden, um, and also talk about this, this early transition phase, which uh, is uh, really interesting with uh, a lot of new appointees coming into the workforce and uh, caring for the work of um, moving these policy priorities forward for the new administration. And uh, I'm kind of just curious in hearing from each of you, um, kind of what are those things that you're focused on in, in this near term, in the next few weeks uh, that you expect to see um, from the administration that, that we might not have already? Um, uh, we, we know that there's been a whole kind of rollout campaign here uh, with the suite of actions, but we're kind of just curious about what else you're, you're waiting for, what else uh, do you think may come that we haven't seen um, just yet, and then we'll talk about the transition a little bit. I think one of the things that, you know, NERF is really looking forward to are, is leadership at the Office of Personnel Management in particular. Um, we asked the Biden campaign at the time um, to appoint a human capital expert as OPM director, um, and prioritize human capital, right? Because it's really easy to give lip service to the federal workforce and human capital and say all the right things, like let's make government cool again, and then keep the OPM director off the table. I feel strongly that um, putting the OPM director at the cabinet table would um, elevate human capital in a way that we haven't seen um, in several years, many decades. Even um, there's a reason why agencies don't take OPM as seriously as it could, right? Um, and that's because they're not in the room. They're not making the decisions. And I'd like to see human capital experts leading the agency in charge of human capital. Of course, I would leave it to my colleagues here to talk about what they're looking forward to at individual agencies. Okay, I guess I'll jump in. Um, you know, I think the main thing that we'd like to see and, and are kind of expecting to see um, is, is, is some, some direction from the White House uh, reestablishing uh, partnerships or forums, as they call them, during the Obama administration. But, you know, if you, if, if it seems like Biden cares what workers think about, uh, you know, he cares about them having a seat at the table in major agency, agency decisions, um, in, 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 in decisions that impact their workplace um, and you know the partnerships were abolished uh, under Trump, and 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 it, it leaves a hole. It, it, it leaves a, a, a really important communication that needs to happen in federal agencies disappear. So we'd we'd really like to see the partnerships reestablished, uh, and we're optimistic that that that'll happen. The other thing that 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 really needs to happen soon, and you know, uh, 
it's, it's just the timing of things right now, but um, at, at, we need to get the leadership into these federal agencies. Yeah, we've seen that first direction from the top, from, from Biden with the executive orders, reestablishing the respect and giving some some guidance. Uh, but there, but at, the, at every agency throughout the federal government, there is uh, things that need to be, be, you know, damage that needs to be undone. And we can't really begin to even have those conversations uh, until the heads of those agencies and departments are established. Um, but we are watching those closely. Uh, we're, we're trying to establish meetings as soon as we can to get in there and say, okay, uh, we got, you know, all of these things got forced on us and here's the reasons they're bad. Let's get them corrected as quickly as possible. Um, that's our goal. And, you know, we here in PMA, um, to echo Jesse's point, you know, we look forward to a staffed OPM leadership so that we know who to go and complain to. <laughs> um, I do think, um, you know, we in PMA as well, like support that at the cabinet level. Um, it has never made sense to me that the uh, agency overseeing the very gigantic federal workforce um, does not enjoy some sort of like front office director level um, cabinet seat. Um, and so we, we look forward to that, um, you know, and then from within our agency, we're also at the same time, we have all these workforce changes going on. We, you know, are helping to support taxpayers through a pandemic as we begin our filing season. And so we are also, you know, trying to wrap up the prior filing season while the next filing season opens in mid-February. And on top of that, delivering like a stimulus at year end and expecting a, another uh, economic stimulus round uh, forthcoming. Um, we're trying to do all of that with um, historically low level, a low number of employees, uh, historically uh, uh, very low budget. Um, and so, you know, we have, a, we have a lot on our plate over these next four or six weeks. Thanks, John. I think it's really helpful just to get a sense of these various issues and it's, you know, agencies have to figure out how to, how to walk and chew gum at the same time, but it is really hard. Um, as Randy mentioned, when you have a lot of uh, acting officials and, and appointed leadership is not necessarily fully on board. I know that there was a huge effort from the transition to to get um, I guess eight hundred a thousand or so of their 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 appointees in as quick as they can, but um, until that confirmed leadership is in, until other folks come come on board, um, there's only just so much um, you know folks who are in acting placeholder roles are going to feel empowered or, or capable of executing. Um, and I think that that will be a uh, a really interesting issue to um, to play out. Um, you know, one one other issue that I, I know we we has kind of opens up a lot of opportunities. This administration's focus on equity, uh, and one of the executive orders that was repealed was was the prior administration's order that that focused on um, critical race theory and other diversity, equity, inclusion topics. And I'm kind of just curious, even in this this first week and moving forward, if if there has been a, a tone shift that, that your members have noticed within agencies, at least in the ability to talk about these issues, to put them back on the table as we're thinking about, how do we take care of our workforce? How do we understand the unique places that members of our workforce are coming from um, and, and, and meeting them there so that they can, can be productive and focus on their jobs for the public? So Jason, we in PMA took um, a very aggressive uh, stance on this uh, in 2020. Um, which, you know, and then later that when those EOs came through, um, sort of prohibiting the civil services participation and all of that um, hampered a lot of our progress. We were very, very pleased to see in these executive orders from President Biden, a number of almost verbatim asks that we made um, in the summer of the IRS, um, a full review of the agency's workforce culture um, and how, uh, IRS enforcement decisions play out for the American public um, in a way that is not necessarily always equitable. Um, I see now, uh, to more directly answer your question, Jason, about how the change has been just this week, even in engaging my board of directors on this, uh, who are all uh, in-service IRS managers. Um, I, even their hearts and minds are, are a little bit more open now um, to seeing us going down this road. And it is, um, you know, 
as the folks you know here representing managers, it is like modern and cutting edge leadership practice. And that's what we in the federal workspace as the model employer should always be demonstrating and living um, is a commitment to anti-racist leadership um, training and uh, dismantling systemic racism in our internal like human resource processes, but then also in how we engage our constituencies. You know, for me, it's taxpayers, but any American who interacts with their government um, should do so free uh, of any fear of bias. Thanks, Chad. And you know, the I think that the point that you make that that agencies have to look at kind of all elements of their programs. I want to connect that to something that Randy mentioned in, in terms of bringing back the labor management partnerships. And, and kind of bringing that perspective of your frontline employees who may see things, who may understand uh, at a more granular level kind of where those challenges may be. And sometimes that information might not have uh, filtered up or been acted upon by agencies. And I'm curious, Randy, just as, as that hopefully comes back into fore and as, as agencies talk about the, those issues, how has NEFI in the past and how are you thinking about kind of um, channeling that, that, that uh, input from your members and, and, and working together with agency leadership to, to move the ball forward consistent with those orders? Well, uh, I think the most important thing is that you're making an effort to, to identify those problems throughout government and, and to do what you can to address them. I mean, Trump's ban on diversity and inclusion training in the federal government you know, was mind-boggling to me. So great move by the Biden administration to uh, to 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 make that a priority once again. And you know, those are difficult problems to solve sometimes. Um, you know, I think of the the U.S. Forest Service, where I think they've they've made some good attempts, but uh, they don't have the right populations in the places where the jobs are. Um, you know, and, and things like that. So, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, to make real predictions about how successful of, of programs are, go, are, are going to be for diversity, but, uh, but we're, we're really pleased to see that they're making the effort, and we're certainly supportive uh, of initiative, initiatives to increase diversity and inclusion in the federal workforce. This is a conversation that we're having as a country, right? I mean, we've been having this for years. This isn't something that magically came about, you know, with the protests over the summer. This is an important conversation that we're having as a country. Like, why would we not have it within the federal workforce? Why would we not want to have a diverse set of backgrounds and nationalities, genders, education levels, right? That makes for a stronger workforce. And to not do that for the federal workforce when companies, both large and small, are having this conversation um, is really short-sighted. And just to piggyback on what Jesse was saying, um, I, I know that this may be niche maybe for the audience, but it was also an incredible um, intervention politically into civil service training um, that just sort of made me have to wonder, you know, why is everyone so worried what's going on in an IRS training class? <laughs> um, let, let the agencies provide the training that they know they need to provide. Um, and so I'm happy that we're also back to that, um, you know, recommitting to that firewall uh, between politics and expertise. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to pick up on, on, on something Jesse mentioned about kind of the broader conversation here and certainly a focus of, of the new administration has been to, to bring in political leaders, appointees that, that better represent and reflect uh, what America looks like. And I think it will be really interesting to see how that plays out in terms of um, leadership advancement, you know, some of these other cultural issues in agencies that have been well-known, well-documented, long-standing challenges, uh, especially in particular agencies and cultures. All right, we're gonna stop here and take our last break and then enter our final segment. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. 
Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're entering the last segment of our show, and we're going to be pivot our focus and talk about the top issue areas that your organizations are focusing on in the new Congress with the new Democratic majorities in both chambers. Um, and um, uh, Jesse, I want to start with you. Kind of what what is NAR focused on? Um, I'm I'm curious in particular uh, your thoughts on kind of pay and benefits issues that that we may see. Um, here in this 117th Congress. Thanks, Jason. I've been fond of saying lately that Congress may change, the administration may change, but NARF's priorities do not. We are here to enhance and protect the earned pay and benefits of the federal community. Um, and a lot of things that we've been working on for years are still to be worked on moving forward. Um, one of the things right out of the gate, I think we'll focus on and um, I'm sure Randy and Chad have something to add on this as well, is the federal employee pay raise for 2022. Uh, we'll be asking the Biden administration to propose a pay raise that is at parity with the military. Um, those of us who've been working on these issues for a while will remember that prior to 2011, which was the first year of the pay freeze, pay parity with the military, military was pretty much a given. Um, we always asked for it, you know, but it was fairly standard. I want to say like 24 of 25 consecutive years, um, the pay raise was at parity with the military. And then once that pay freeze in 2011, we really got away from it. Um, we saw one year of parity uh, during the Trump administration. Congress appropriated a pay raise um, at parity with the military. And that's really where the pay raise should be. It should be in the appropriations process. And in doing so, it gives agencies the funding to carry out that pay raise. If the president dictates pay, agencies have to find that money um, elsewhere because it's not appropriated. Um, so that's one of the things we'll be working on um, right away. Others are longer standing NARF priorities like the repeal of the windfall elimination provision and government pension offset. House rules require a four vote on any piece of legislation that gets 290 co-sponsors. That repeal bill came pretty close to 290 last Congress. I expect we'll be able to build on that this one. And then of course, there'll be other smaller reform efforts of those that NARF supports. Um, undoubtedly, postal uh, reform and postal considerations will continue to get coverage as it has during uh, the COVID pandemic. Um, a, a decent chunk of NARF's membership are postal retirees and postal reform is important to us as a result. So we'll be working to make sure that the Postal Service can continue delivering to America in the way we're used to, six days a week, last mile, to the door, you know, rural delivery, um, and ensuring the Postal Service has the resources it needs to carry that out. I really appreciate that. Uh, Randy, what, what, what's on the top of your list for, for NEFI? What, what are your expectations in, in the Democratic Congress? Well, we're certainly better off uh, with a Democratic Congress in there, so that's 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 a great step. And and we've got a president in the White House who's generally supportive of uh, federal employees and working people of all kinds. So um, we're we're you know we're we're pleased that especially you know the whole budget process always gets starts with the you know the president dropping his budget uh, usually in, in the start of February. Um, you know we're not going to see the things that we've been seeing year after year under Trump. Um, as Jesse talked about, uh, pay parity, uh, we've frequently seen uh, a discrepancy, uh, you know, where the president would call for a, a raise for military, um, but a pay freeze uh, for civilian federal employees. Um, we really want to see the principle of pay parity restored. That had been a principle for 20 years. It got off track, uh, but it needs to be restored because the pay gap between the private sector and federal workers is just growing and growing and growing um, back in, in, uh, in during, during the um, the the Bush administration uh, it was about 13 percent toward the end of the Bush administration the federal pay gap now it's ballooned it's in the high 20s that's the gap that's how much less on average federal employees are making than folks in the private sector doing the exact same jobs so you know we, you know we need to we need to get a fair pay raise I mean we've already given hundreds of billions of dollars toward deficit reduction, we being federal employees who've accepted less take-home pay in the name of deficit reduction, you can't keep on doing that year after year after year and it not cause major, major problems. So pay is number one. Um, we're also really glad to see that we're not going to see these consistent attacks on federal employees' pensions. I mean, the, 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 the egregious attacks on federal workers' retirement that was being proposed by Trump, even when he campaigned, 
that he was not going to touch people's retirement and then in his budget every year just go after federal wor workers who have very modest uh you know pensions uh and so so we're we are optimistic that we won't see those kind of things under biden uh, i wouldn't expect to but but you know it remains to be seen but i'm optimistic um and then you know there's a lot of things agency by agency um law enforcement officers and federal firefighters we need some fair retirement we've got a bill that we're working on for 6c retirement for for those folks we've been working on it for years we're getting closer and closer we want to get that across across the goal line uh, we got problems at the va for title 38s where uh the the, the these exceptions to, to to title 38 which limits bargaining and has a lot of other it, it really hurts uh it hurts uh nurses and doctors at the va it's just not a fair system title 38 uh, and then we've got to watch out for all kinds of um, you know, we're on the lookout for austerity measures that may be coming down. I mean, yeah, the Republicans are in the minority, but all of a sudden you're going to see, oh, we're, they're all deficit hawks all of a sudden and are going to be trying to force, you know, we saw sequestration, uh, you know, happen, uh, you know, close to a decade ago. Uh, I think they're going to be trying to do those sorts of things again. Um, and, and, and federal employees always incur a disproportionate amount of pain when those sort of things are, 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 are get passed. So, uh, you know, we, we got, we're going to be on the lookout for those things, things like BRAC base realignments and closures, um, is, is something that kind of get, gets balled into those sorts of things. Generally th those have been, have been a bad thing and haven't really saved any money, but really threaten uh, federal workers throughout the country. Um, those, those are, those are some of the top things where we're going to be looking. Jason, can I continue on with that for a second? Because I didn't mention it when we were going through our priorities. Randy's absolutely right about those threats to pay, retirement benefits, health benefits. We saw it year after year with the Trump administration's budgets, but a lot of those proposals also weren't new. You know, some of them we've been talking about for decades now in terms of, you know, uh, federal employees paying more for their retirement benefit without any added um, increase to their annuities. And I think Randy's absolutely right. When you look at the deficit hawks in Congress. And once we're past this pandemic, right? Once they're not spending $1 trillion the way I spend 50 bucks on Amazon, um, they're gonna wanna get some of that money back, right? Um, and I think that's when this conversation comes back. I mean, we may be able to keep it out of budget proposals and I, you know, administration budget proposals, which I expect we will, but that doesn't mean all those ideas that have a price tag attached to them that we know how much savings that can generate won't be part of any discussion when we talk about, okay, now we need to bring, we need to bring down the deficit or we need to pay for an infrastructure package. So I, I just want to question that even though I, I don't expect we'd see these in any budget proposal from the administration, hopefully we would, I would still encourage people to remain diligent as it relates to negotiations on the Hill. Really agree with that. Thanks so much, Jesse and Randy. I think that those are going to be really key things to to keep our eye on. Um, Chad, I want to make sure that we, we we hear from you. Kind of what what is PMA looking at and focused on here in the new Congress and the in the Democratic majority? So certainly, like our partners at NEFI and at NARF, I'm very concerned about workforce issues like pay parity. Um, it doesn't make sense to us as to why um, the civil services contribution to America and to our democracy um, is valued um, differently uh, across sectors of government. Um, more specifically in the treasury space, um, we're also going to be pressing the 117th Congress for um, a sensical IT modernization plan for our agency that includes a multi-year budget authority. Um, the IRS is home to the oldest computer system still in use in the federal government today. Um, it turned 59 years old um, and we still actually use it. We can't find anyone to program it anymore. Um, in order to make it work for us, we have 60 or more overlapping databases. Um, and so we have this very gnarled sort of network um, underpinning the most complex tax authority the world has ever seen and known. Um, and we, we, have to, we have to modernize um, and we need stable multi-year funding for that that is not um, subject to the political whims of Congress year to year. Um, as well, uh, IRS employees are subject to a tax compliance requirement that no one else in the government is uh, subject to. 
um, IRS employees may not uh, fail to file their taxes or fail to pay their taxes. In fact, IRS employees are, can be statutorily removed from service uh, for owing money on their tax bill. Um, and we aren't uh, suggesting that federal employees should shirk their tax responsibilities, but we do think that there's a middle ground um, where the entire civil service um, and the uniformed service as well um, can meet their obligations as citizens in a way that's fair to everybody. Thanks, Chad. Really, really appreciate that and think that that has got to be a, uh, an issue that I, I, I imagine has caused some of your members and their, their teammates at the service stress this year, just through the, the, the economic crisis and other crises we've faced in, in this country. Um, you know, one thing that I'm curious about the, the group on just the, the dynamics that we're seeing in the new Congress as they get they get organized. Uh, the president is, is stressing and pushing for bipartisanship, but, but we're already seeing kind of our first reconciliation package coming together and um, uh, looks poised to move through the chambers to, to provide critical relief uh, to the public. But, you know, I'm just curious about your thoughts. Does that pretend anything for uh, what, what we'll see in terms of cooperation or lack thereof in Congress in this session? Or is this just an attempt by the majority to meet the moment and it may not um, color, color this whole 117th Congress? I'm not sure we know the answer to that quite yet. Um, I talk about this in the webinar I gave for NARF yesterday. Um, for the NARF members, you have access to that. For those who aren't, um, I can certainly help them get to that if they'd like. But is it, do they come together and they pass a budget resolution and a COVID package with 60 votes in the Senate or with 50? And if you use budget reconciliation to do anything, which is an exceptionally complicated topic um, that I will not get into in our remaining time, don't worry. It's um, when you need to pass something, but you can't get 60 votes in the Senate, right? We saw it with the Trump tax cuts, the Bush tax cuts, and the Affordable Care Act in the Obama years, right? And if that's, if reconciliation starts this Congress, which is where the talk is, I think you'll see less bipartisanship than we may have wanted in a call for unity. But and like I said, I, th I still think it's a little early to make that call quite yet. Yeah, I mean, I don't see... Uh, I mean, there's calls for bipartisanship at, at, at this time, at the start of an administration every single time, um, but, but there needs to be structural changes in order for, for us to actually see bipartisanship. None of the factors that have led to this hyperpartisanship in, in, in Washington have changed. So it's kind of nice to, to think about bipartisanship, but with nothing changed, why should we expect any different results? So I don't think we could be too optimistic and you, and you definitely shouldn't buy into some notion that uh, doing what they can by getting something passed through reconciliation is gonna lead to bipartisanship. It's a result of it, not a cause of it. Yeah, we really appreciate the insight there. And I guess we'll, we'll just have to see how that all plays out. I know in the meantime, uh, Randy Irwin with your members at the National Federation of Federal Employees, Jesse Clement with your members at the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association, and Chad Hooper with your members at the IRS and the Professional Managers Association. You and your folks will be keeping your heads down to deliver for the public. We'll all work on telling those stories and trying to rebuild the confidence and trust in the workforce. We uh, all want the same thing, right? We all want government to run efficiently for the taxpayers. We all want government to be effective and efficient. Where we differ is not amongst us, but like in the political arena is how we get there, right? Absolutely. We all want the same thing. I agree. Absolutely. Well, on that word, you're listening to Fed Talk. Thank you for joining us. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Brainsford, and Roth. Have a wonderful weekend.